This is Ross Payton here with Roleplaying Public Radio, and this is episode 28, Great Expectations, and other GM and player expectations, dealing with those expectations in games and things. So, of course, with me is uh, Mr. Tom Church. Ah, great grandstanding, Ross. May wild hyenas devour your testicles. Oh, Tom. I greet people that way now. Oh, really? It's, yeah, it's just, I, I greet people that way. It's... Yeah, Walker's like, hey, glad to meet you. I hope hyenas eat your testicles. Really? I uh I don't think your company Yeah, would it's win. no, uh, well, it's it's yeah, it's weird. People don't seem to like it as much as I do. Yeah, wow. Go figure. Who would have thunk it? But um anyways, it's been a little while since we've done our last episode, so uh we've uh, of course been doing a lot of D&D lately, 4th edition. Uh we've done re- 10 episodes or 10 sessions of it so far we've only posted the first and n- first. none of them are none of them are suitable for kids no they're quite not safe for work but they develop quite a, a following people really dig the uh antics yeah. of, especially cody uh yeah. cody's getting some serious pub from this one yes publicity yes um so i've been thinking you know some of the uh people mm-hmm. out there uh, are using rpg designers are using what's called a ransom model for uh, RPG design, which is to say, basically, you set up this what use this website fundable.com where people can pay in, and if a certain goal is met, then everyone who contributes so much money is actually charged. If if the, the goal is met, no one loses any money. But um, if the goal is met, then I would then write a fourth ed D and D supplement for the New World campaign. Sort of like if you wanted to run your own campaign in the New World. Uh, I would write a little campaign primer, and if that turns out well, I could do a whole series about the new world, about all the, the describing the colony, all the uh, major players in it, the Gripply tribe, which is very popular, and um, you know that, that that kind of thing. So, what do you think? Yes, about? well, we're certainly in this for the money. I mean, that's why yeah. we got started in this, right? Yes, podcasting with uh, no advertising and no. Sponsorships or it's downloadable for free. We're we're definitely in it for the money. Yeah, we might. I think we I might mean, be, about the most niche topic you can imagine outside of. Yeah, and it's not exactly a very good thing to use as a front to sell meth or anything. Yeah, it's not really a front, Tom, because a front is a way to disguise illegitimate activities or illegitimate funds. We're not. Getting you're just not using your imagination enough, Ross. We could use this to sell meth. Uh, well, of course we wouldn't because we you just kind of announced that, and that would be totally illegal and against. But see, laws. they wouldn't suspect it if we just flat out admitted it. See, always thinking layers upon layers. I am in awe of uh, your logic sometimes, there, Tom. Well, I try to stay humble, but Lord knows it is hard sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, this episode we're going to be talking about. Uh, expectations. We got this great email from one of our listeners, and uh, he had a problem with expectations. So, um, when you're running a game, when you're starting a game, it, it everyone has their own idea of how the game should be, and mostly they're compatible. I mean, if you're running a D and D hack and slash game, people generally know it's yeah, yeah. Diablo two with di- with yeah. dice and pa- graphics. And the ones that are kind of slightly foaming at the mouth, you know, kind of muttering incoherently about swords and plus three, you know, spears of penetration. You you can kind of guess like, all right, well, this is going to go very well, right? So let's read the letter and find out uh, first the problem of our listener. Uh, Fritz, well, his name is on here is uh, Fritz 
lip balm, but I don't think it's that. It, not his real name, but... Hey, if it is your real name, kudos on that. Yes. RPPRs, hands down, the best gaming podcast I've ever heard. Aw. I really like the format of the show. In particular, I really like how Ross provides abstract, generalized advice and information to elucidate principles. And then Tom provides specific instances of how he's implemented these ideas in the past and examples of what listeners might try in the future. You provide excellent advice, and your shows are highly entertaining. Okay, Ross, seriously, that voice is starting to piss me off, all right? <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're separated by a distance here, but I can close it in a very short time. Oh, well, you're no fun, Tom. Anyway, I know. I'm starting up a new campaign, and there's an issue I've been struggling with. You mentioned one of your shows it's necessary to quickly establish the setting and mood in the campaign so the players understand the internal rules of the uh, setting. Something to that effect. It's been a while since I listened to that episode. Uh, I'm curious how you go about that, and moreover, I'm curious about how you go about establishing a setting rule set that all your players would find entertaining. The campaign I'm setting up is GURPS 3rd Edition. and uh, In the Old West, and in 1868, I'm concerned that my players already have wildly different expectations about the game. I haven't run the first session yet, but one of the players has made an adventure character and clearly expects there to be an abundance of fantastical, impossible steampunk technology. Another player expects things to be more realistic. This player won't play D&D because the characters have too many hit points and can survive after being impaled on spears, etc. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. For player, you know, like, I, I don't want to survive this spear wound. That's shit, man. If I got an axe in my head, I'm a dead man. Yeah, that's uh, pretty hardcore. <laughs> uh, this wouldn't be a problem, except that he feels the same way about GURPS as lethal as combat in that system tends to be. In the conspiratorial GURPS one-shot game about American and British wizards fighting a secret proxy war during the American Revolution, and I like your ideas, please subscribe me to your newsletter. That sounds awesome, by the way. That's that's my little side. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the 40-point PCs was shot by a redcoat with a rifle. This injury reduced his hit points to negative five, and he was knocked unconscious. But the PC doctor got a critical success on the first aid roll and restored his hit point back to plus three, which let him continue on the adventure. I know the player recognized that letting the PC continue on was necessary, but at the same time, I could tell that he, what had just happened, had broken his suspension of disbelief, as opposed to the American and British wizards. wizards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Someone had been shot in the torso and was walking around a few minutes later, albeit at half move, and was a wizard, probably. So I guess my question is, how do you establish these rules or prevailing logic of a campaign? How should you balance those rules to suit the preference of players? Players listen to the above example will have very different expectations going into the opening campaign. How can I bring their expectations into unity? Thanks. Keep making great shows. I think the new world is a great twist on D&D campaigns. I'm sorry if this email is unclear. I'm writing it early in the morning. And it, to me, he, got, he sent it, I got it around midnight, so I don't know what time zone he's in. Yeah, I will have to say... Uh... If you actually think that shot once and being out of the fight for the rest of that battle, maybe even the session is your thing, then why? Well, I mean, some players just have their own... Uh, there's no wrong way to have fun, Tom. And if that's... Well, I, if that's, but if that's what does it, I mean, I think that's, that is odd enough. Well... I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've forwarded that with a lot of players that, I mean, Andy in particular, we mentioned him last episode a lot. Yeah. He, one reason he doesn't like D&D is that, you know, there's, you know, the a battle is so abstract, you know, okay, I just took 
thirty damage. What does that mean? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, the, the, and there are, but there are systems that cater to that. Roll master in particular, where you mm-hmm. have hit location. Well, there's lots of systems that have hit locations. Cyberpunk and, does yeah, that. Uh, uh, Roll master, which has critical hit tables for everything, uh, including walking. Um, so if you fumble a walking roll, then you could die because that's how roll. That's how is. they roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fucking roll master. It, you, you have not, they have plasma critical hit tables and it's a fantasy game. <laughs> I want that. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to play it though. I, I don't want to play it, but <laughs> shit. I mean, yeah. come on now. I got standards. Well, anyway, um, so expectations that that's the name of the game. Um, uh, Dealing with expectations, the best time to deal with expectations, I think, overall is before the game starts, and that's well, where Fritz. I, I think is right we talked about this more along the lines of this, the the co- social contract of the game. Yeah, um, you need to. Everyone needs to lay out clearly what they want in the game. You know, the GM says, "I want to run this type of game." Like in Fritz's suggestion, I would say, "I'm running a realistic Western campaign, no steampunk." Um, this is how much damage will do. Uh, basically if you get shot, you know, you could die quickly. It's like, this is unforgiven, not wild, wild west. But on the other hand, uh, so that would please the realist player probably, but the realist Mm -hmm. player, you, if the real, he should, Fritz should explain the, uh, injury rules in particular to the, the realistic players. So, uh, to get his feedback, to find out if those are realistic enough for him. Like, uh, I mean, if that's important to him and for the steampunk player, um, yeah, that, that's going to be a problem. But on the other hand, there were inventors in the wild west. I mean, there were people who made crazy stuff. The Gatling gun comes to mind. Um, plus there's also prospectors and people discovering things and explorers. So, and as for that, the whole realism thing, you know, walking away from a gunshot wound, if you realize guns rarely instantly kill people. Um, well, no, but they usually fatally kill people. I mean, or well, incapacitate them, I think. The main but, thing. you know, there's almost, there's very few instances, except a direct headshot. Right. That's often just instantly kills you. Well, the thing is, usually when you're, I think the issue is that he got up and walked away from it after a single first aid roll from a doctor. Um, that's what he said sort of broke it, I think. So, and I can understand that if you're playing, if you want a game where it, Despite the fact that there are fucking wizards running about in the American, but if you Revolution. want, yeah, if you want guns, to, you know, forget the magic. If you want guns to be realistic, well, yeah. all right, yeah. Uh, Which then, well, hey, if you did th- do it that way, that might actually make you less likely to charge headfirst into a gunfight, right? But on the other hand, you know, so the first thing, is, so I would explain the injury rules in detail and give examples to the realistic player. That's how I do so, and then maybe house rule it so it's even more or less lethal depending on what the players are satisfied with. Yeah. So that they then they then know that if they pull a gun on somebody or somebody shoots at them, that their character they could be creating new characters pretty fucking quickly. Um. So that's what I would do in that situation. I don't know. Well, would you do anything differently? Well, I would say for those two, I would actually just see if a compromise could be reached. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. Um, the main technique, I guess, for dealing with expectations. Uh, same same thing with same thing as in yeah, Congress. Yeah, yeah. Compromise. Compromise. Collaboration. We'll call it. Um, basically, you know, every player has their own little preferences, and usually, most of the time, 
the GM runs a game that everyone is more or less satisfied with. Some players would prefer slightly different types of games, but they they have a tolerance, you know, mm-hmm. for a range of games, you know. As long uh, as they have fun. Yeah. As long as they have some fun and they're fun enough that there is worth going to, then then you're running a good game because everyone like remember the game changes too, you know, the combat player sticks with a game even when there's a lot of talking around because he knows there's going to be a good fight later on. And may find out, hey, this talking is actually kind of fun too. Yeah. And um, so also, though, so it it would be easy to deal with the the realistic player by showing them how the damage rules are and working with them to get it to where both of them agree. Get them to get the player to agree beforehand. Okay, these rules are satisfactory. I will deal with this beforehand. Um but with uh, uh, the steampunk player, the steampunk player might be like, oh, well, there's no steampunk. Well, screw this game. I don't want to play. I would explain, tell him to give it a shot because I, in particular, with the very real, realistic games, was very surprised by, I know I mentioned this before, the World War II campaign where I was a civilian, a 30-point mm-hmm. groups character as a Jewish doctor hiding out in Nazi Europe. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty interesting. I didn't have any magic powers. I wasn't a commando. I wasn't a badass. But uh, just getting, you know, surviving and performing heart surgery with, you know, black market supplies and butcher's tools. Yeah. uh, That was pretty fucking hardcore. And uh, Mm -hmm. I dug it and it was great. So I would tell the steampunk player to give it a shot because you you, sometimes a player's expectations can expand, can change based on, you know, getting new input, having new games, you know, that you can, you can surprise them, basically change. If you can't change the game, change the player. I think that's the main thing. And even if, you know, and also you could, you would compromise saying, okay, there's not, uh, there's not going to be the fantastical steampunk stuff, but there were weird inventions in the wild west. Yeah. I mentioned the hand cranked Gatling gun. Maxim or Max, was it Gatling or it was Max? the Gatling gun? Maxim. Ma- Maxim was World War II, World War One. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And uh, you know, there's that. There's a, uh, you know, the uh, the telephone, the telegraph, all yeah. that. All that shit was you know, you know, was fairly new at one point. Yeah. And you can you could even do like you know customized versions of something yeah. like, um, you know, like your gadgetry could be like you know like a you know a pistol a pistol a specialty ammo. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be the, you know, well, wild, wild, west. wild, 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 wild west. That movie, the giant walking mechanical spider. Yeah, right. it does. Yeah, there. It doesn't have to be fantastic. You know, fantastical. I see. Okay, fair enough. So, I mean, the main thing is when dealing with expectations. It, you know, if you you come up with, you know, let's say you know you do your best, try and get everybody satisfied before you start the game, and. But problems still come up later on. You know, you did your best. You're in the you're in the middle of the game, or you're running a game, and play, someone is like, "Oh, this is stupid. This is dumb. I I don't. I yeah, This is. How do you deal with expectation problems in the game? You know, while you're running, it's a little game? harder to fix. Yeah, it is a little harder mm-hmm. to fix, but it, it it can still be done. Again, the main thing is either change the game, change the player which is usually better than changing the game yes, yeah. or do a little of both. Try and get everybody sort of compromise to where it, you change the game a little bit. The player gives a little bit and then everybody's happy or at least playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think the thing is uh, uh, there, there we, we talked a little earlier Tom, about the sort of the hot spots of where expectations usually are violated. And um, we sort of found five areas: uh, genre, style, violence level, maturity, and consistency. 
Um, genre encompasses the, the genre that you're playing in, which is not just the types of games you're running, but the goals the players expect themselves. Like, say you you have a scenario, players fighting a monster. Mm-hmm. In an action genre game, it's, players would kill the monster. Yeah. In a horror genre game... Survive the monster. Yeah, or banish the monster. Or, you know, uh, maybe kill the monster, but the monster's going to kill or drive you insane. You yeah. know, it's much, much more difficult. So... Mechanically, the game would be similar, but what? The and I think is- this is uh, that's precisely the reason I just don't think my other group would like Call of Cthulhu very much. They are thoroughly wedded to being able to stop whatever horrible thing is loose, right? And uh, it, you can't change their expectations. No, well, not not with that one. Actually, I just, they're not willing. Mm. I, I just don't think the group is willing to do that. I tried it one time with them, and it threw them completely off. When they had to, when they actually realized they had to run, they couldn't stay and stand and fight. Oh, even just once, that was just. It, yeah, it. You could tell. You could see the confusion. It, it, this wasn't. It was like hater. Like I'm not having fun. It. I. I don't get this. I. You mean there? You would throw a monster at me that I can't kill? Or or like I gave them guns, but I gave them forty fives, not M sixties, M sixties, or plasma ejectors. It's. They have 45 pistols. Right. Which, against this monster, only make, pisses it off. Right. Yeah, and there was a couple, there were a couple of them that just still, still just stood there, their ground, and f- shooting it. So their expectations were so set in stone that you could only change the game. You couldn't change them. Well, it was I, after I tore, after I had the monster tore the arm off one of them, they finally got, maybe we should run. <laughs> um, so... Did you change their their expectations after that game? Did they decide that horror was more interesting or anything, or were they? Well, actually, I well, more firmly set in their ways. They actually they started they set about to actually investigate the monster at some point, which I had given them several opportunities to do so. Yeah, they're like, hey, maybe we should, and not just not just researching like, all right, well, how do we kill it? It's more like, okay, where did it come from? What are the local legends surrounding it? Okay. You know, and what is that? You know, the crazy guy that frequents the general store who constantly talks about the beastie in the in the swamp. Okay. And, and they when they realized that violence could not stop it, mm-hmm. I there was there was a little bit of like, all right, I maybe we now I, find, I see what we're gonna do now. It'd still be great if we could. I actually, I, I said one person actually made me said, all we get are forty fives. Mm-hmm. Well, how many clips of ammo? Like. It's a shoulder, you know, I said, well, it's a standard shoulder holster, your gun, and two magazines. So, like, actually, I, one guy did, did a quick style, like, okay, 45, eight rounds. We only have 24 bullets? <laughs> this is someone that, you know, is used to have the trunk full of right, assault right. weapons and more ammo than in Fort Bragg. Right. Yeah, it was it was a change for them. And so how do they deal with the, the you changing their expect or the uh, violating their expectations, basically? Well, the thing is, I don't I didn't. I told them flat out that this is a Halloween. This is a horror game. Right. This isn't going to be like the kind of stuff we normally do. Right. They're like, all right, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. And I, maybe they just didn't listen, hear me correctly, but they finally got into the swing of things really about towards the last 30 minutes. Mm. When you know the the end game was approaching, I see. Um, that's that you, you sort of bring up a good point. The players said that they were fine, but they really didn't understand. I mean, some players will sort of brush it off or pay lip service to that mm-hmm. idea of, "Oh yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it." But when 
there's when a difference comes between to saying, shove. yeah, when push comes to shove, there's a big difference. So if you're running the game, you're preparing a game, you need to keep that in mind that the players aren't going to be as observant about it as you are as the GM, probably. Probably, but not mm-hmm. always. So, um, you know, that that's one of the big hotspots, you know, genre. So the next one is style. And style is like the mood of the game, the theme of the game, things like that. And usually it's... Uh, I see it like you could run an action game, but you could run a realistic action game or a cinematic action game. Yeah. And that's a style choice. Cinematic action game, you're jumping out of windows, shooting with two hand shooting pistol with in each hand. Uh yeah, you, or, know, uh, you know, or or like a uh, John Wu. Uh, like yeah, like you know, an HKMP five in each hand doing a, a slow turn on a rope. Yeah, doves are flying in the air, barrels yeah. are randomly exploding, um, cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Yeah. Uh, whereas you. a realistic action game, it's like you know Rainbow Six, tactical squad entry, you know mm-hmm. shotgun rounds to, uh, or Die rounds. Hard. Yeah, I use Die Hard as, as inspiration for a lot of my games. Well, that's cinematic though. That's not tactical. No, not really. Not the no. first Die Hard movie. Uh, it's I, okay, one man I, against a whole terrorist squad. Well, the thing, but the thing is though, he's there's no he never does the two guns going at once. It's still cinematic. Well, no, the uh, the fighting is pure brawling. There's no martial arts or in it. And it I don't consider that cinematic. I consider tactical to be based, modeled after real world uh, gunfighting or violence, basically. Like uh, on Iraqi, you know, the the squad tactics used by urban close quarters combat squads in Baghdad or something like that. Or Rainbow Six is the ultimate tactical game. Well, basically. I still consider Die Hard uh, not a cinematic. Well, you you can, but, but that's but that's a matter of opinion. You would be the only one with that opinion. I'm sure there are others out there. And they would be wrong, but but I but as the point is, yes, it just you need to decide early on which one you're going to do. Right. Well, in tactical games, though, you would punish people who did cinematic choices. You know, uh, someone who jumps on a window. Oh, yeah. Actually, I have a great example of that. Okay. That uh, actually, my friend, my friend Aaron, who I think I've mentioned before. Oh yes, he was on the we, show. Yeah, we were doing a uh, Defender of Sluggy. Yeah, a Iron Age heroes. Which, I mean, Iron Age is in the era of the comics, right? Dark eighties one, eighties yeah. one, and uh, he was playing. He was playing a uh, superhero. I I forget exactly what it was, but he like he was out, and they had teamed up with an SAS team who were you know who were there going after the same target, mm-hmm. and they said we can help you out, and the SAS guys said all right. This, the, well, the leader of the team says, "All right, you can do it." Says, "But we're in command. You follow my orders. Like you go where I tell you, when I tell you." His character went off on his own mm-hmm. to try, you know, to you know, try and do his own thing. And then the off the uh, commander needed him for something, and he wasn't there. Mm. And then a, a gunfight erupted, where they of course they won. They were just mooks. But then when that when the when he got up to the commander and said, "All right, here's what I found," the commander just decked him in the face. Ooh. And said, you know, and basically pointed his gun at him and says, he says, he says, when you're in my command, you do exactly as I tell you. Don't you ever do that again. Mm. And it was one of the, like, he actually, real life was, like, surprised, shocked that that happened. And he said, well, like, can't I see that coming in Dodge? Like, no, he just decked you in the face with the butt of his gun. Right. And uh, that, you know, that was one of the, it says, unfortunately, in realistic, you have to follow your commander's orders. Right. Um. So I quickly got away from the right. realistic combat at that point. Right. Um, well, also in tactical games, you would punish people like again uh, who would make bad. Also, tactical games usually have much more realistic damage rules. You know, one yeah. or two bullets, you'd be dead. 
Um, but anyway, so that's that's just one example of styles. There are many different styles, and players need to understand not the, the style of the game, you know, the mood, the th- what sort of themes you're wanting yeah. to do. Um, like if you're running a superhero game, that's you're running that you're gonna you said you're gonna run like a four color, right? You know, Silver Age kind of comic thing. You can't suddenly start bringing in rape and serial murder. Which brings us to the next hot spot of uh, expectations: uh, violence level. Yeah, that's so. that's a biggie. Yeah, I think that. I mean, technically, that's more of like a style issue, but that's such a big. It, it needs its, it. It needs its own yeah, section because that's that violence is just the, the most common type of conflict in RPGs, and so players need to understand. You know, one thing I, I recently got the Paranoia XP RPG, mm-hmm. and they have three different levels of or three styles of playing, like classic, straight, and like um, wacky, basically. Right. And in each one, you have different, you know, uh, expectations of violence. Like in straight games, characters aren't killed as much. Mm-hmm. And in wacky games, they're killed all the time. So that that's sort of the thing, you know, how often, how durable are player characters? How, you know, how plot immune are they? And how... Right. Or, and, and, and uh, you know, how violent is the violence? Yeah. And not just that, like, if your player gets near death, uh, how does he get permanent injuries? Like, in D&D, you go into negative hit points, you get a healing post, you're like, oh, I'm fine. And it, whereas in uh, GURPS, if you get, you know, you can have your arm torn off, you know, by a single bullet or attack yeah. by a monster. So And it's the same style of play. Like, I, I like to compare uh, Ram, like, you know, uh, Rambo 3 and the, and, Rambo and, the, and the last Rambo movie. Right. One in Afghanistan, yeah, it's violent. He shoots a lot of guns. There's not a lot of gore in it. Mm. You know, when he kills people, yeah, you see blood kind of spurting from bullets, but right. not much. Then then there's that last scene in Rambo 4 where people are being cut in half. By, the, the one from 2008. Yeah. yeah. You know, where the 50 caliber machine guns cutting guys in half and showing it vividly. Yeah. That's, you know, that's two different things. There, there's violence and then there's... Ultra-violence. Ultra-violence. Yeah. Uh, or basically like Garth Ennis writing a mainstream comic versus Garth Ennis or Warren Ellis writing a Avatar press comic, <laughs> which uh, yeah. he I just read one new Garth Ennis comic called The Crossed, which is from Avatar, which is basically a zombie apocalypse only. They're not zombies. It's just uh, they become nor- the, the sociopathic people who still retain enough intelligence to use tools. And... Mm-hmm. It is literally the most violent comic I've read outside of some manga. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's excessive, even by Garth Ennis standards. Really. And that's pretty damn excessive. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Even by Avatar Press standards. I don't know if you... Do you know Avatar Press? If you, I, don't, Avatar. I don't think I'm familiar with them. They did uh, they, Frank Miller, Robocop, reimagining as a comic book series. I've I have, I've only read a couple of those, but yeah, that, that alone is enough. Okay, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, Violence, because people get really squicked out, you know, really weirded out by violence um, if it's not what they expect. So, mm-hmm. and, and the one thing you don't want is like a, r- a bunch of normal gamers, and then there's that one guy, that one motherfucking guy who's like, yeah, and then I skin my dead enemies alive and drink. I take their scalps, I make yeah. a necklace of their ears. Yeah, exactly. That motherfucker, there's always one. You just gotta deal with that motherfucker. Especially in con- convention games, but you know. yeah, 
<laughs> like I was running monsters and other childish things, and one of the players I was ran two games of it at Gen Con last year. One game, one of the players wanted to kill one of the the kids who had been pestering. He's like, I want my monster to kill Sally. You know, she's a bitch. You know, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I remember the game I played with you. I was playing a kid that you know, that a trench coat mafioso type. Yeah. But I, mean, I was like, but I realized, you know, it's okay to play him if that he's probably going to go do that when he's in high school. Yeah. But right now he's just antisocial and hates everyone. <laughs> right, right, right. Come on, you know, realize what you're doing. Yeah. So that's that's another thing to keep in mind. Uh, and sort of related to that, and then fourth hotspot is maturity. Uh, and and maturity I'm not, I'm not, is not. I'm just not talking like, about keeping the fart jokes to a minimum either. Right. Um, you know the the AB three stories are the classic example. The, everyone AB 3s maturity expectations are blatantly violated in pretty much all of those stories. Horrifically violated yeah, in uh, ways that would need you'd have to have a, a tube of achy breaky mythos. Being going having to go shirtless and wrestle for sanity rolls is uh, yeah, and, ha- and you know having yourself have to be, you have to talk with a lisp now because you lost this much sanity. Yeah, exactly. So. It's that kind of thing that uh, you really you gotta. That's it, more of a basic social etiquette thing rather than a gaming specific uh, specific thing. But there's always going to be the players, you know, who make rape jokes or you know dead baby jokes or children murdering rapist things or you know just mm-hmm. bad bad tasteless jokes and stuff the like stuff that. that actually you have to stop the game for a few minutes. Just like all yeah. right, let's just let's cool off here. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, make sure err on the side of caution. Uh, you know, in the New World campaign we've been playing, we all make tasteless jokes, but I. It, but it, they're tasteless, but they're not offensive. Yeah. Not, you know. Okay. The, I think you know. It's like Maxim magazine. Yeah. Okay. You know, frog snatch. Yeah. Offensive, yes, but we were laughing so hard for like we were laughing for like two minutes. Yeah. Well, I think if, uh, was it that or was it that. Uh, Frog Jesus dried up for your sins. Well, there, yeah, there was that too. But I think that was funny. I don't know. Um, they were both pretty funny. Yes, uh, they were, and we laughed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that that's one area that's definitely you, can, you can't. The game can't deal with that. That's basically that's don't that's be an a group thing. That's a group yeah, thing and social etiquette thing. So um, error on the side of caution. The last thing though is consistency. By consistency, I mean. You have to run, uh, we've stressed this before, run an internally consistent game. That mm-hmm. means if, say, you have a monster that the players encounter, you know, a werewolf, and they kill it with silver bullets, the next time or they... Or they shoot it with silver bullets and it wounds it or whatever. Well, it kill, we'll say kill. Okay. You know, kill, they kill the, bat, the werewolf with silver bullets. Next time they run into a werewolf and they shoot him with silver bullets, it doesn't do a damn thing. And it's, you, you forget about that. Or, you know, it's because you forgot about the first encounter or any number of reasons. And the players are pissed off because they're like, what? What the hell? Or, you know, their ally who they saved, you know, like they mm-hmm. saved the princess. The princess, oh, I'll do whatever you want. I'll grant you a favor. You are friends of this kingdom. And then when the players come back, it's like, hey, princess, um, we have these bad guys chasing after us. Can we can use our favor and you help us out? And she says, no, I hate you. Go away. And the player's like, what the hell? I thought she was on our side. Yeah. Now, granted, this is a problem. Like, if that happens, it, it happens to every freaking everyone. Yeah. It's it, You can get out of it. it. You can get out of it. It's one of those that you can that you can steer yourself away from. Yeah. Well. And, and, you know, in the case of, you know, well, I think you, meant, you mentioned before, like, in the case of the werewolf, you know, 
do it like, okay, well, this is a different kind of werewolf. Right, right. Um, well, the main thing is I, I know at least when I run a game and I violate their con- the consistency of the world is because I forgot something. Or like the names of the goddamn NPCs. Like Cody is like, what's and, well, the, and the fact that Cody is adamant like, okay, what, which NPC was this, Ross? <laughs> do his voice, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Uh well that's that that's yeah just yeah the, the look of, un- of discomfort on your face is priceless when we yeah. do that uh so try and keep the world as in- internally consistent as possible also for player though players though can violate that when they make their characters inconsistent you know if your character is described as being someone who hates orcs and wants to kill orcs no matter what but suddenly it becomes advantageous to have orc allies like oh yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll help yeah yeah I'll get I'll accept the orcs help. Then you're violating the consistency of the world by being a selfish jerk. By oh well, suddenly it's nice for you, easy for you to be in front of orcs, and then mm-hmm. so don't disappoint my character is deep and complex. You don't get him, you know. Like no, no, he's not. Yeah. So those are sort of the main areas you need that expectations usually get violated. But um, one thing though, there are exceptions to expectations. Occasionally, ex- violating the expectations can be good. Yes, yes, it can. Um, you know, GMs like say, let's go back to the werewolf with the silver silver bullets thing. Um, you know, like you're saying, it, it could be a different type of werewolf, or it could be a guy in a werewolf costume who's wearing a, who, who's wearing a flak jacket. Yeah. So players shouldn't immediately jump on something that's like, oh, you're violating my yeah. expectations. Give it, yeah, give it a little. Yeah. Just go with it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, trust me, it won't take long for you to realize when. It's been violated in a good way, or he's just stringing you along. Yeah. That, that'll become obvious very quickly. Well, it might take a while, but maybe that's the hook for the damn scenario. Like, if there's something really weird or inconsistent, it's like, how could his body be teleported? His legs are here and his arms are here. That's not how teleportation works at all. It's like, that's the damn scenario. Give him, let him throw you the damn plot hook, you know. So, and then, then uh, uh, for... so. Let the GM violate the uh, uh, um, expectations of the players every once in a while. It's easier to get around when the GM does it. Uh, Of course, on the other hand, though, players can violate the GM's expectations by doing something totally unexpected. Just, you know, like you've prepared your your grand adventure. Like, oh, like, well, what about this desert over here? Let's go there. Yeah. Or just totally hypothetical question. Totally hypothetical. Players, you set up this awesome attack the players are going to go to this outpost and defend it from a massive horde of enemies it's going to be like zulu the movie it's going to be epic and the players like no no let, let's make a deal with the with the natives so that they don't attack the fortress and you're like oh well okay if they do this but that'll piss off your other allies so you have to fight them like no you don't want to piss them off either or we could or like or by the way can i just take this moment to share a thought yeah. i've had with your game yeah it is something I've realized after 10 sessions of that game. It is really, really hard to be good. <laughs> it is extremely hard to be good in that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. In D&D The New World, uh, Tom is the lawful good fighter. And uh, unlike the other characters who are unaligned, basically, they uh, he is always doing the right thing. And I've made it so that doing the right thing is always more difficult than being mm-hmm. selfish. Trust doing- me. I know I don't sound like it in character, but there are times where, like, God damn it! Why do I have to be the good one? <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, this this scenario, you know, they they the horde of lizardmen were about to attack this uh, outpost. Players were there to defend the outpost. 
players make a deal with the Lizardmen. The Lizardmen wants, you know, a better deal, basically, than the people who paid them to attack the outpost. Well, it was my idea to try to parlay with them. Yeah. And then I find out they want something there's no way I could let them have. Slaves, basically. Hundreds of slaves, or, you know, lots of slaves that the Lizardmen would mistreat or eat. Basically, so what are the players going to do? Uh, the players eventually decided to trade up and fight a monster that they can probably not take. Uh, At level 12 Hydra. I yeah, a solo monster while they're level 7. And uh, this is a monster that will hit and run and can swim very well in a swamp. Yeah. And it at the, at right now, it would have been better just to freaking fight them. Yeah. The well, thing is, I can't fault myself because I realize, hey, my character probably would have would have actually tried to talk his yeah, way out of it. Of course, it. now you have a hostage who's being held by the Lizardmen, who we can't leave there. Yeah, because we he's one of the ones we, he's a he's a Gripply, and therefore we will protect him to to the death. Yes. So um, when the players do the unexpected, well, I know we talked about improvising before, but the basics are uh, one Schrodinger's dungeon, which is. Whatever dungeon you prepared happens to be the one the players decide to go. Just into. change the change the walls or yeah. change the file wall. off the serial numbers. If it, the cave becomes a temple, becomes a crypt, becomes a fortress, becomes a spaceship, whatever the players happen to find. So mm-hmm. uh, the next one is a cheat sheet. Now, what I mean by a cheat sheet is have a couple of pages, uh, a couple of encounters ready to go at any given time. Which is they not necessarily fighting encounters, but say, you know, a puzzle, a trap, a curse, a social, a, a prisoner trapped in a cage that's begging for help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that would be a perfect encounter. It'll keep them tied up for a while, so you while, can, while you can rack your brain to figure out what to do, where to go right. from there. Um, and the third thing is to know your game world, your setting, well enough that you understand how it would react to your player's actions. And by the setting, not just the, the, the landscape itself, but the NPCs. There. And if you're a beginner, this is where running a pre-gen stuff really comes in handy. Well, usually, because sometimes that that becomes sort of a straitjacket, too, because then you're sort of like, oh, well, I don't know how to go off the lines. You know, I don't know how to make it my own yet. So, But in general, if you like, if they go into the desert, you should know the desert well enough to have them fuck around for a few few hours. Or in the case of like, you should know well enough that you're probably not going to find an abolith there. Right. You know, have a sphinx or mummy or whatever else, you know, or a caravan that's been cursed by a mummy that's been cursed by an abolith (laughs) that was cursed by a dragon in a dungeon. That's how Dungeons and Dragons goes. It all goes back. I I have no idea. you're, You're... you're reaching, Ross. I am reaching, but that would be a hell of an adventure, man. I I'd would play it. So Fuck yeah, um, those are the main things. Understand your game world. You know, uh, have a cheat sheet and have Schrodinger's dungeon. So, um, any other thoughts on expectations, Tom? Well, I've, I've said this before, but as far as expectations go, expect them to change, always and forever. Mm-hmm. You know, if the day you actually you plan on this going exactly as you would as you would plan, whether you're a GM or a player, is the your day you're going to find yourself stuck somewhere. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've found it. I've and I've been gaming for the better part of shit twenty twenty two twenty three years now, mm-hmm. and not one game I've run been in or run has ever gone exactly according to plan. Yeah. Uh... 
Yeah, I mean, even today I'm running games and I have no idea how the players will resolve them. I'll be like, oh, but I don't want to fight but, the Lizardmen. But I guess that's part of why you enjoy run, running yeah. it. Yeah. Because also, you, mainly you don't know where this shit's going to go. Yeah. Uh, I've read a lot of people online say, oh, the GM controls everything. You know how the player, how the game's going to wind up. It's like, no. No, you really don't. Yeah. Because no. if you're doing a, the, the right type of game, you'll have an idea, a ballpark, maybe, but you'll just. Like the Hydra thing. I made that up off the top of my head. Like, and we jumped at it. Yeah. Until we realized we can't. No, actually, I think, you know, even in spite of the fact that we can't take this thing, we're yeah. still like, yeah, that's probably the best thing to do here. Yeah. Uh, and then we figure, like, well, we found out they're controlled by a dragon. Like, all right, well, okay, we take out the Hydra now, and then when we're higher, we go kill the dragon. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. So I've got two adventures already ready to go. Kill a Hydra, kill a dragon. So uh, Kill the pig, drink its blood. Yes. Uh, of course, uh, we have coming up, Tom, you have a new letter. I do. And then I we do. have some shout-outs and an anecdote or two. And, uh, the hell? What, was, what, was that, what was that enunciation or two? I don't know. I'm tired. I'm, yeah, I can tell. You, yeah. would, 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 you like, would you like a Starbucks? I would like a Starbucks. Well, you can't have one. I'm not driving you there. Uh, okay. Well, we'll be back. Dear Splincrith, before this letter even gets underway, I can hear the reaction of the masses jumping out of their chairs and covering their computers with caustic urine. A letter dealing with a palladium property? Doesn't Tom have nothing but bile when it comes to anything palladium? Well, first of all, thank you for tuning in enough to know how I feel about palladium. Secondly, while it's true that I have enough bile about palladium to built up to dissolve the Exxon Valdez, not all my missives about palladium were aimed to strike them down. You may recall that my letter to Emperor Prosek was simply advice on how to avoid the fates of all the other dictators whose armies had wicked cool uniforms. And lastly, yes, this letter's aimed to castrate. The target of my wrath is the Splugorth in general, and Splinkrith in particular. I'm going to flat out tell you that this rage is by no means the fault of Kevin Sembietta or anyone else at Palladium Games. This comes from an old gaming associate of mine. It was several years ago when we were in a local food court, stuffing our pie holes with grease-laden pizza from Sabaros and drinking fruit punch with enough sugar to put everyone in mainland China into a diabetic coma. I forget the details, but at some point my associate said that the Splugorth were the Cthulhu of Rifts. It was impossible to comprehend the sheer rage that blossomed from that comment. Comparing Cthulhu to the Splugorth is like trying to compare the Soviet Emperor bomb to a match caught in the Galveston Storm of 1900. For those of you who are clueless about what I've just said, don't worry. You are simply the result of a school system that has no use for you. Use the Google. Anyway, back to my anger. The Splugorth can't be Cthulhu for the simple reason that human minds can comprehend him. Hell, for all the power the Splinkrith has, his motives are human ones. He wants wealth and power, the kind of power that comes from being the leader of a country. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you honestly think that Cthulhu is sitting in the sunken city of Relay, thinking up ways to improve his stock portfolio? Hell no. Cthulhu is scary because his actions are impossible for mere mortals to understand. And am I the only one who noticed that it is possible to permanently kill Splinkrith? It says that he has 56,000 MDC, and he must be reduced to negative 4,000 MDC to completely destroy him. If a cosmic horror can be killed utterly by mortal weapons, then it's not really a cosmic horror. Just a regular horror, you have to hit a lot. 
You can bring the fucking Death Star dipped in cyanide and Ebola Zaire against Cthulhu, and he'll be back 1d10 rounds later. Period. Do whatever you want, he'll be back to chomp down in your tiny mortal ass in no time. The point of this rambling, semi-coherent bullshit is simple. The Splugorth and Cthulhu are not to be compared. One is a truly incomprehensible godlike being who has existed for hundreds of millions of years and will one day rise to reclaim the Earth in the name of the Old Ones. The other is the big bad guy that you aspire to level up your heroes to finally kill. Period. And now, children, go look up the Soviet Emperor Bomb in the Galveston Storm of 1900. Learning is fun. No, I don't know why. It's and hell, you know, I, I wrote I wrote this letter like just before we recorded this episode or started to. Yeah, that's true. Because you're a horrible yeah. Person. Everything I read, by the way, I want you to know everything I read on this show is a rough draft. Right. Because it's all what deserves. Uh, <laughs> Ross, no, why why must you try cut me down in my creative juices? Cutting the show down actually, because Ross, what the fuck are you? What the hell is wrong with you? Self depreciating humor it makes me seem more humble. When Modest. Dude, your head's so far up your ass. Well, that's what the alien invasion manual said about humans and their customs. Not that I am one. Not that you're a human? Not that I'm an alien. No. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's Joe profound, Fair. man. So uh, let's have some shout-outs. First off, a classic novel. Um, considered to be similar to... Well, you know, we're, our titles obviously play on great expectations. We just put a period in there and say, great expectations. Uh, you can, like be sarcastic too. Great expectations. Yes, exactly. So this is another classic uh, novel. Only it's been updated for the 21st century, and it's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, I knew that Zombies had to be in there somewhere. If you were giving it as a shout out, <laughs> it hasn't come out yet. But just they have the 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 the, the title alone and the, the cover. I sold you. Yeah, pretty much they've. Taken the original Pride and Prejudice novel, you know, Mr. Darcy, and, uh, you know, Regency romance and all that, and added zombies to it. Lots of scenes of zombies attacking and eating people. So one of the classics of romantic literature with zombies. That's being made a movie. That they I, I guarantee movie. you it's going to be made as a low-budget movie somewhere. Hopefully. We can hope that we can have, oh, Mr. Darcy, I love you so. Oh, my God, zombies. Ah! So... So it's your opinion, whenever, whenever, when anyone ever screams, oh my god, zombies, they say it like that? Pretty much. It must be very sad in your world. <laughs> uh, well, how about your shout-outs, Tom? Do you have one? Yeah, I got a couple, but I'll do one right okay, now. Because I got more, too. Yeah. One is a show on uh, Adult Swim that's called uh, Look Around You. Right. Which is like a parody of... Like a well, 1980s BBC educational videos. Right. Or educational videos in general, but it's from the BBC. Right. And it's like like a science educational video, you know, like those little, you know, programs that, you know, programs you, you have to follow along in a, in a workbook yourself. Right. And uh, they're just, they're parodies and they're freaking hilarious. And not obviously so. Right. True, true. Uh, so yeah, the look around you. It's also on YouTube, so I'll link to the uh, YouTube videos. Yeah, do that. Man. Yeah, they're all. It's worth a look if you yeah. haven't watched it already. Any particular favorites? Water, 
Uh, I think water and sulfur are my favorite. Water's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. What do I... Uh, armored Trains. This is a book about armored trains in wartime, and it has pictures. Basically, I was browsing through Borders, and I saw this book. It's a thin book. And I was like, I can't not buy this book because it has pictures uh, of trains with cannons on it. So That's war porn. It That's, pleased you. Yes, it was like, oh, they're useless, anachronistic military technology. And you must have it. It looks cool. It, they're useless, but they have guns on them and they move on track. Yeah, so. Um, so it reduced you to a quivering mass of jelly. Well, I was like, I want to turn this into an RPG scenario. You would. <laughs> Probably Call of Cthulhu. So, uh, yeah, Armored Trains. Uh, it, it, it's pretty good. Um, got, I got one more, but do you want to do yours next? Sure. Uh, my other one is hardly, uh, it's hardly, you know, it's hard to find, but it's, I just got season one on DVD of Lewis Black's Root of All Evil. Well, that's that show on Comedy Central where the two guys, two stand-up comics debate about something. And then he delivers his final verdict on which one is the worst. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, um. I was never a fan, but whatever. No, I, I well, first of all, I, I love Lewis Black, and yes. the episodes are funny to watch, and it... He's so dreamy. Ross, s- settle down, put it back in your pants. <laughs> Seriously. No one wants to see that. Yeah. But, no, it's it's just a way to watch Lewis Black before you, you know, when he fi- until he finally decides to do another stand-up act. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, last one is a webcomic called Lovecraft is Missing. And I'm going to have to hazard a guess and say Lovecraft is missing. Yeah, it's in the 30s or 20s or 30s uh, about pulp writers, um, books of occult magic, and uh, Lovecraft himself. He's in He's in it, and he went missing. And uh, they're trying to find him? Yeah, there's some people. There's a woman and a guy trying to find him, a pulp writer and a librarian. Well, if I think if there's any mortal that Cthulhu would could just hang out with, I'd say it'd be him. Yeah. So, haha, it's a uh, uh, neat. It's got really great art, actually, and uh, that helps. Yeah, RSS feed. So uh, check it out. It just started last yeah. year. Great so. artwork can make up for bad writing, and it's got both though. Element. No, good, good, good writing, and good good writing can make up for bad artwork, but you get good writing and good artwork together. You got yourself. You, you got yourself some shit. Yeah, you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, of course, lastly but not least, we have some anecdotes. So You want to do yours first? Yeah, I'll do mine. Um, now, this is a game I've recorded, but I uh, just thought I'd give you a little sample. Uh, basically, as I mentioned before, I've written and published a fourth edition adventure called Tides of Doom. And it's a Lovecraftian dungeon uh, for level one characters in the book In Search of Adventure for Goodman Games. And I ran it at VisionCon, which is the local gaming con here in Springfield. And I mentioned earlier, I think in a previous episode, that did it after hours. And uh, alcohol was flowing. Yeah, alcohol was flowing. At the, one of the hotel rooms, some of my friends had uh, booked for the con. And people kept wandering in and out, talking about the special $5 brownies uh, available in room so-and-so, the room down the hall. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what was fun though, is that, uh, I created these corruption rules, basically, you know, keeping, keeping in mind the Lovecraftian theme that it was a evil dungeon that the longer you spend in it, the more corrupted you became physically and mentally. So I had one player who got, I think like webbed fingers and started hallucinating about, it. he saw deformity everywhere even when there was none. And so <laughs> he was 
had some fun role playing that. But the poor halfling paladin, uh, he uh, kept uh, he failed all of his saving throws. He was one saving throw away from death when they finally finished the scenario. Uh, he developed a phlegmy cough. His bones started to warp and thicken, and then he got a hunchback, a hunchbacked halfling. There's this hunchback small. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't know how that would look either, but um, it was pretty crazy, and uh, the players kept nearly dying, no matter how many what what they fought. They were they were doing pretty good, and they they had five player five characters with them, so they you know full size party. But man, they just I just beat their asses in, and like. At the end, well, you'll have to listen to it to find out what happens, but uh, it, it was a very close game. So if you want a very challenging scenario for your players, I would get Tides of Doom for Goodman Games and uh, check that out because that'll be pretty awesome. So All right. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Tom, what you got? Well, what I got, you got? Well, I got one. This is once again involving that game you were part of for a couple of sessions. The uh, Dinosaur GURPS game. Yeah, there's it's the distant future and... Dino, sentient dinosaurs are the dominant species and players were playing the few humans who were brought back you know cloned from old dna right well in this particular one uh the this was after you had not stopped playing it yeah there was a moment where the big bad guy had trapped one of their uh friends inside like inside like a mind trap mm-hmm. so and they needed him so they went in to get him out so what followed was about an hour and a half of this adventure of adventure inside someone else's mind except the bad guy is also influencing stuff so this guy you know when he was you know back in his world you know the regular world was a military officer so there's a lot of his a lot of uh, you know places that are like you know the Pentagon or West Point except they're being influenced by the bad guy who's controlling it so like and all the players for you know they come at like they're they're on an airplane that's you know that's flying and they they're not trying then the stewardess comes over which turns out to be just the bad guy in a you know stewardess outfit and saying saying that says requesting more drinks than is allowed is an executable offense and then pulls a gun and starts trying to shoot them and he he keeps showing up like no matter what they do like. Okay, one one of my particularly favorite moments, which I just totally made, I made this whole thing up on the spot. They're, they need to get someplace else in the mine, so they get on a bus, which they get on and is nothing but ninjas are on it. It's like a Brit, one of those double-decker British buses, and everyone on it is a ninja. And, of course, they talk like the stupid, you know, you know movie ninja. Said like, like, sir, welcome to the ninja bus. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, they, I mean, they love that. I kept that up for like twenty minutes, just because, like, I well, it's it's over, but they really seem to like it. So, okay. Right. And that was when I, uh, it was afterwards when they got to what you know, they they were trapped in here, couldn't find a way out. When I introduced what they said was one of their most favorite NPCs of all time, which was Jeff. Jeff was an iguana. They they were in like they were in like what had to be this guy's office, and there was this, an iguana kind of crawling around on the shelves. They're like, you know, they notice him like, what do we do? And he finally says like, like, Jesus Christ, people, don't you see what's going on here? I'm, it says, it says like, follow me. It's like, I can see you need my help because you're going to be fucking doomed here if you're not. And so he starts barking out orders like an officer does. And so they finally get out and they're going into the Pentagon level of this mind, mindscape. And as soon as like the officers, there's like officers in a big war room. As soon as they go in with this iguana kind of like riding on one shoulder, it's like, Jeff, sir, it's good to see you, sir. 
says, we're in a tight situation. like, Eddie's soldier, tell me what's going on. And I just have a conversation with him and this guy talking, you know, military lingo mm-hmm. in harsh in harsh tones. That went on for another 20 minutes. And after that, that was one that had to stop. Like, okay, we need to stop to catch our breath here. Because, you know, there's so much, la- they're laughing so hard. So I still get, I still get talked about, you know, yeah, I guess this is me toting my GM horn that I'm so awesome. Yes. I want you to admit that I'm awesome, Ross. You are awesome. Thank you. I don't believe that, but it'll do. Okay. But it's, I, that's one of my, I, I love doing improv, totally, total improv on g- games sometimes when it, when yeah. it works. Yeah. Um, the Legend of Jeff lives on. So. Yeah. And that reminds me actually of a, have you game, played a game called Psychonauts? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. There's, that's a whole premise is you go into, was that an inspiration or did you? Yeah, actually I, I never played it. I'd seen it played and I heard you talk about it. Okay. Just the idea of entering people's minds and it being a whole level. And, and you having to rescue them from their own minds. Yeah. So, and uh, taking what that person was and then make, fucking it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, very good. Uh, so, if uh, before we end this episode, I'd like to remind people, if you like our show, please give a good review on iTunes or whatnot. Tell your friends about it. Uh Link to it on other sites and all that jazz. So soon we will be legion. Yes, and please let us know if you are interested in the rant, in uh, me writing up a fourth ed edition, fourth ed D and D campaign primer for the new world. If you'd like to uh, meet, a, I could write a whole series of them uh, describing it all out. If you'd want to play in the new world, let me know. I'd love to write them out. I just uh, and then tell us your adventures. Yes, tell us. Yeah, don't forget we always need more anecdotes. Um, anything else, Tom? Uh, Keep watching the skies. And please, please good, night, li- good luck. And, and please like me. Oh, uh, please like Tom because God knows because Ross abuses me all the time. Yes, back to the slave minds. <laughs> all right, well, this is Ross Payton for Roleplay Public Radio. And Tom, please help me. He's Ross is crazy. I'm stopping the recording now.